And so, does anyone want to share a prayer request or a praise um, as we start this evening? Prayer request or a praise? Yeah, Kat. Okay. So Kat's been praying for some health. We've been praying for her for some health concerns. And so things are coming back normal. So the results are good. So we're praising the Lord for that. Absolutely. Amen. Continue to pray for good health results and all those kind of things, obviously, for Kat. A praise. Um, mentioned this before. Uh, Anthony made it to Florida safely. And so we greatly appreciate your prayers on that. And Sandra appreciates your prayers for her. As uh, Thursday morning, uh, getting around was a little bit different probably for her. And so, but uh, once she started communicating, he started communicating with her, things got better. So once she saw some pictures and some texts and realized, okay, he's safe, we're good. So, um, but appreciate your prayers on that. And was already shared, uh, I think she put something on Facebook, that uh, we really do appreciate uh, the support that so many helped him get on this trip and do this. And so thank you for that. So um, any other prayer requests or praises this evening? Prayer requests or praises? No? All right. Well, we'll go ahead and pray, I guess. I will say, uh, let's be remembering Milo Brown in prayer. Um, had a chance, uh, Pastor Greg and I were able to go over and see him this week um, where he's at in a rehab facility. Um, he's, he's very aware of what's going on, um, but obviously just frustrated, wants to be home. Um, and so not quite as far along in the recovery process as he wants to be. So continue to be praying for him in that regard, that he'll get stronger and all those kind of things. And so pray for wisdom for Kelly and Steve and the family as they continue to try to help him and all of that. So, um, and then obviously be praying for, uh, Bob Raymond, as many of you saw through the prayer chain, uh, that result coming through with the uh, diagnosis of cancer. So we're going to be praying for Bob, praying that God will bring healing and comfort there. And so continue to lift him up in prayer. Yes, Tiffany. Okay. Okay. So pray for, um, Tiffany for, uh, open doors with a home that would fit her needs. And so pre-praying for that, that God will continue to work in that. That was kind of shared on Wednesday night, if you were in there with a Wednesday night group. So be praying for that. If there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and pray. All right, let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. What a full day it's been. Just a great day of just enjoying your presence. But Lord, also just getting to spend time with your church uh, Lord, following service today, getting to have lunch with the Hogue family, Lord, and just to celebrate with them and to rejoice with them and three of their children following you in believer's baptism and the dedication of Gideon, Lord, their youngest. And, and Father, I can't imagine uh, just the fullness they're feeling today and all that was able to be gone on there. And so, Father, thank you for getting to talk with uh, just those individuals and, and just getting to know them a little bit better, Lord, and family members and friends and finding out the influences that have made this all possible. Father, we do praise you for this morning, for the service again, for also not only the Hogue children, but for Izzy Parmalee and, and Gracie Goodwin to be uh, baptized and to, again, follow you and believers' baptism, Lord. What a testimony that their uh, parents just recently were baptized themselves, and yet for them to follow so quickly is such a great testimony of the love that they have for you. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for that. Father, we lift up those in our church family that are having some health concerns right now, Lord. We thank you for the things coming back with Kat as positive, Lord, and continue to pray for wisdom there for the doctors and just for your hand to be with that, Lord. We do pray that you would be with um, Bob, Lord, and this diagnosis of cancer. We don't know to what extent, Lord, and all of that, but you know. You're very aware of what's going on, and you have your hand all over the situation. We pray for healing and comfort there. Father, we pray for... Tiffany, Lord, that as you continue to open doors of opportunity, we pray that something would come available that would be a home that would suit her needs, Lord, that you'd make that available for her. Father, we praise you for <coughs> all that you do in our lives, Lord, all the many ways that you work, lead, guide, and direct, Lord. We thank you for just being a God that is in control of all of this, that moves and, and works behind the scenes, Lord, that we could glorify you and, and just trust we don't have to fear, Lord. We, we know the creator and the sustainer of all things, and so we trust in you. Father, we thank you for, again, your grace to draw us together tonight, Lord. We pray that you would help us to 
worship you fuller tonight and to know you more. Lord, as we continue to study the God that you are, that we would glorify you, promote you, and lift you up. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to do something really unprofessional and get a tissue. So, just what I do. I went to grab another one, but it looked like it was used in the box. So, I don't know what's up with that. All right. So, we are going to be... Continuing to the people watch, listening online or the recording, they're going to be like, what is going on right now? Okay, so we're going to be continuing our study through who is our God? Who is our God? We started this last week, and we did give out a handout. So, <coughs> excuse me, if you did not get a handout, I need to give you one. So if you were not here last week and don't have a handout, let me know. I can't remember who was and wasn't here. You guys were here. Anyone else? Okay. That's fine. Just in case. Um, Anyone else? You have the digital copy. Yeah. Yep. Got tons of extras. Yep. All right. Now, as I said before, uh, some of you guys, you may prefer a digital copy of this. I know Sandra brings her iPad, and so she's able to pull that right up on her iPad and make notes on it right there. So if you would prefer a digital copy, um, just let me know when I make the outlines. I can just send you that when I make it. And then if you're able to be here, you'll have it. And if you miss a Sunday or something, you'll still have that ready to go. So just let me know if, if you prefer a digital versus a paper copy. So we, we've gone through the first three of these attributes of God. And what we started talking about last week was that we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at 15 key attributes of our God. Now, this is not to say this is the exhaustive list of all that our God is, but we believe this, these 15 things give us an idea of who the Bible reveals our God to be. And so when you think about this, my prayer, as this kind of opens up there on that first page, my prayer is that with each one, you will be drawn to worship deeper and trust Fuller, that by looking into these 15 key attributes that you'll say, man, I knew God was that, but to really like stay on this and dwell on this and meditate on this helps me to worship God in a different way, in a fuller way. It's not saying you don't know these things or maybe you've studied these things before, but hopefully this will give you a chance to better understand who our God is. And I truly believe studying the Bible, studying doctrine, studying theology, studying who our God is, it's not just for head knowledge. It's meant to draw us into elevating him higher and in a way elevating him above what we thought he was before. And so we talked about a few different things already. Uh, Number one was God is infinite. So if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to go through them real quick. I'm not going to give you the whole breakdown underneath there, but I'll just tell you the fill-ins here real quick. Um, God is infinite. So we talked about what that looks like. Uh, God is immutable, and immutable just means he never changes. So God is infinite, okay? He's beyond measure. He's beyond scope. You can't put your hands around God and say, this is who God is without realizing he's infinite. We're finite. He's infinite. He's limitless. He's immutable. He never changes. And we unpacked the, the key in that is that if he never changes, his promises never change. When he promised to save you, if you trusted in Christ 2,000 years ago when he revealed it to the authors of God's word, and then you read those words 2,000 years later and believed and trusted in Christ to save you, he didn't change between 2,000 years ago and now. He didn't go, no, I meant that then, but I'm not going to do that now. I changed my mind. That is not our God. He does not change. He is the same. He is without changing. And then the third one we looked at was God is self sufficient, self-sufficient. He has no needs. And we unpack this. We have needs. We have tons of needs. Now we really only need a few things, but really we have a lot of needs that we don't even realize we need. Uh, Not just food and water. I truly believe we have need for relationship. We have need for interaction with other people. We have need for the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and minds. We have need for the Word of God to reveal God to us. We have a lot of needs in our life. God has no needs. And I jotted this down, and I wanted to read this quote to you guys. 
Um, I thought it was a really good summary of this idea. And so this is from uh, a book I referenced when we did our study on providence. That one night we kind of dived into what, what is providence and what does that look like. Um, this is a book called The Mystery of Providence by John Favel. And I wanted to read this quote here that when I read this, it completely drew my mind to what we just said, that he has no needs, he is self-sufficient. Listen to how the author phrases this. He does not need us, but is perfectly blessed and happy in himself without us. So let that sink in for a moment. He does not need us. He is perfectly happy and blessed in himself. Like in God, in himself, he is completely happy and blessed without us. If he never exist, if we never existed, if he never brought us into creation, he would still be just as sufficient as he is right now. Like he doesn't need us, but he goes on to say this. We can add nothing to him. He quotes uh, Job 22.2, can a man be profitable unto God? He says, no. The holiest of men add nothing to him. Yet, see how great account he makes of us. And I love the way the author phrases that. We add nothing to God. We add nothing to his stature. We can make him no profit. We don't do anything for him. He is completely sufficient in himself. And yet, he takes a great account of you and I. He sees us as so valuable. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And I love the way the author phrases that, that the holiest of men can add nothing to him. We think if I'm really, really good and I'm really, really holy, then, no, 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 no. God is completely satisfied in himself. In the Godhead, and we've referenced this, in the Godhead, there was perfect and is perfect unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect unity, no division, no conflict, oneness, as God in three persons. And yet he desired and designed to create human beings who will fall away, who will rebel, who will be disobedient, apathetic, disregard his word, give him no authority, not even evaluate him or elevate him rather as judge, just as someone they want to shake their fist at. He didn't design humanity because he needed a rebellious creature. He designed humanity because he wanted a relationship with you and I. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us. And so we unpacked that last week. So number four, we're going to move into the next couple. And these are ones that are more familiar to us as far as when if I was to ask you, tell me the divine attributes of God, these are what you would list most likely. Uh, These are the omnis, if you want to summarize them, the omni attributes of God. Of God, And so we are going to spend some time on them, though, because, again, I think we talk about these things, but I don't know how much we really think about even this next one. Number four, God is omnipotent. So O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. Now, just let's think here, and I think I gave you these verses. I keep forgetting which one. So you have Psalm 33, 6 there. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So what, is that, what does that mean? Like say that for me in, in your own words. How would you summarize that verse? Really simple. It's not a trick question. Just tell me, what, what does that mean? What did I just read? Yeah, he spoke and stars came into existence. Like by the breath of his mouth, he just said it and they were there. That's power. And I don't know about you, but I pray like he's not a star-breathing God. I pray to him like he didn't speak everything into existence and sustain everything by his power. Job 11 7 through 11, I have it in my notes here. You can jot it down on on your notes there, just the reference. This is Job speaking here. Listen to what, or this is what's going on in the book of Job, I should say. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? 
Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and con- convenes a court, convenes, sorry, a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take notes? Think about the beginning of this passage. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Like that question alone should cause us to pause and to think, what is there of God that I've not even scratched the surface of knowing? He's so powerful. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. His power is limitless. His power is beyond measure. Omnipotent means to have unlimited power. Omni means all. Potent means powerful. God is able and powerful to do anything he wills without any effort on his part. How much effort is there in speaking a word? Not much. And yet God, by just the breath of his words, breathe into existence stars. It's important to note the anything he wills. God is able and powerful to do anything he wills. That means if he wills it, he can do it. And he will do it. It will be done. But an important point to note here is that God cannot do anything that is contrary or contradictory to his nature. God will not do anything contrary or contradictory to his nature. He's not going to do something that's not in agreement with his nature. Hebrews 6.18 puts it like this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So what in that verse is something God cannot do? What is something that God cannot do? According to Hebrews chapter 6, the verse I just read. I'll read it again. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may, have great, may be greatly encouraged. What is the one thing in this verse that God cannot do? Evan. Yeah. Good job, Evan. And Evan alone. The whole crowd was like jumping on your answer, man. He cannot lie. Now, that should be really encouraging to us on many levels. But the real reason it should be encouraging to us is because if God cannot lie, and if God doesn't change, then your salvation is guaranteed for eternity. God cannot change his promises, and he does not lie about his promises. And by the way, God unable to lie is the most unique aspect of God that is completely uncommon to us. Because what is the one thing we do very well as humanity? Lie. We do it all the time. Culturally, there's no issue with it. Even to the point where it's not really lying. It's just, you know, an exaggeration. It's a stretching of the truth. It's a little white lie. I mean, they'll even tell you, if you have to lie to save hurting someone's feelings, it's better to lie. This is, this is moral today. This is a moral lesson. It's morally okay in our culture to lie to someone rather than risk hurting their feelings. Because, as we've been saying the last couple mornings, to call evil good and good evil is the normal now. But God is unable to lie. And that alone should cause us to pause and think, man, he is nothing like us. He is nothing like us. He is unique and separate in all things. Scripture is clear that God is strong and mighty. I'm going to give you, I think you've got these in your notes. I'm going to look at what you guys have here. Oh, no, you don't. Okay, so I'm going to give you some references here. If you want to jot them down, you can. So Scripture is clear that God is strong and mighty. Psalm 24, 8. Nothing is too hard for him to accomplish. Genesis 18, 14. Jeremiah 32, 17. Luke 1, 37. Is that too fast? 
Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. I'll slow down. I'll slow down. I'll slow down. Okay. Okay, so Genesis 18, 14. Jeremiah 32, 17. And Luke 1, 37. So you guys got to yell at me. I'm just going. So stop me if they have to. The Psalm 24, 8. Psalm 24, 8 was the reference for the first one. So again, Scripture is clear that God is strong and mighty. Psalm 24, 8. Nothing is too hard for him to accomplish. We gave you those references. Um, Often God is called almighty, describing him as the one who possesses all power and authority. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And then Revelation 1, 8. Describing him as the one who possesses all power and authority, 2 Corinthians 6.18, Revelation 1.8. And then a reference that we referenced here in our uh, a sermon on Sunday morning not too long ago. Uh, Paul says that God is actually able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, Ephesians 3 and verse 20. So just in that little bit, Ephesians 3.20 Gives us the idea that he can do immeasurably more than we ask or think. So let's pause for a second. He's the Almighty. He can do anything he wills. He can, and is described in Scripture as one that nothing is too hard for him. He is the one that can do all of these things, that he is strong and mighty, and he is our God, your Savior, your Father in heaven. So let me ask you what is too hard for him? Nothing. What is impossible for him? That's, that was a little bit of a trick question. It is impossible for God to do anything outside of his nature. So what is impossible for him is anything he determines is impossible for him that goes against his nature. So it's impossible for God to lie. That's a blessing. That's an encouragement. But we, when I say what is impossible for God, we say nothing. We, I know what you mean. He can do anything he wants to do. He can, he can move in ways that he decides to move beyond our understanding. But remember, God does say that there are things that he chooses not to do, one of which being, in our scripture, lie. He is honest. He is true. He is faithful. And by the way, he is faithful to you because he is faithful to himself. He will not see you lost and undone once you receive Christ because he is faithful to himself. He is faithful to the Son. And so that is why we are kept. I love a quote by John MacArthur. He says, although such power might seem frightful. By the way, if if you think of how powerful God is and you don't shake a little bit, then the demons believe in the God of the Bible more than you do. Let me say that again. If you think of the power of God and you don't shake a little bit, I mean, at least to the point of going, man, he's an amazing God and recognize that. I'm not talking about live in fear. I'm talking about just recognize that and say, that's humbling. And feel a little bit of a feeling inside to say, man, he is, he is God. Then the demons that James references believe in the God of the Bible more than we do. Because they believe in God and tremble. And the knock that James says against those who profess Christ but most likely didn't know Jesus. He says, yeah, you believe in God, great. The demons believe in God and tremble. What's the difference? You say you believe in this God. But if you really did and you are lost and undone, you'd be trembling because you'd recognize his power and authority. He goes on to say this, although such power might seem frightful, remember that God is good. He can do anything according to his infinite ability, but will do only those things that are consistent with himself. That's why he can't lie, tolerate sin, or save impenitent sinners. Basically means if you refuse to repent, you refuse to trust Christ, you refuse to acknowledge your sin and receive Christ, he will not save you because he says he will not save you. He cannot tolerate sin because he is God and holy and just. And he cannot lie because he is God. He is all-powerful. There is nothing he cannot do except those things that he says he will not do that are in disagreement with his will. And when you pray, Do you pray to this God? Or do you pray to a God that's a little bit better than you? 
Do you pray to a God who's a little bit smarter than you, a little bit stronger than you, but basically the same person with the same mindset? Or do you pray to this God? So we asked in the first three attributes. And I want to ask, and again, we're going to ask it every single time, so you're probably going to get tired of me asking this question. But I want you to think for a moment, because as we did last week, I want to give you time to pause and reflect. Man, we sit in church. Let's be real. We sit in church. Our minds are other places. We're not really always engaging the text, engaging the word. It's extremely disrespectful to God, but it's human nature. I do it. You do it. We all do it. So during these studies that we do this, I want to purposely give time to pause and reflect. So I want you to think for a second. How does this specific attribute that God is all powerful? You don't need to answer out loud, but how does this specific attribute speak to you? How does the reality of God's infinite power speak to you in your walk with Christ right now? How does it encourage you in some way as you think about what you're going through? How does this attribute of our God speak to you? So I want you to think on that for just a moment. I want it to be something that you really meditate on. Number five. Number five. We talked about omnipotent, moving into the next omni attribute. God is omniscient. God is omniscient. He is all knowing. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 in your notes. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. There's so much in that verse that jumps out to me, but I want to open it up for just a second here. What, what catches you in that verse? What part of that verse really jumps out at you when you're like, whoa, that's amazing. You can't say all of it. That's, that's cheating. But what, man, the whole verse is really moving, Pastor. I think it's just great. The whole thing, I just can't, I can't separate it out. I got to take it as a whole. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's a gracious gift that he desires to reveal himself to us. We've said this before. God did not have to give us the word of God. God did not have to reveal himself to us, but he chose to. And he chooses to reveal what he's doing. Now, does he always reveal what he's doing when he's doing it? When we want him to reveal what he's doing and why he's doing it? No. Right? There's a famous clip of Billy Graham preaching. And he's talking about uh, the, the story of Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, if you want to go that route. But... Habakkuk. And he's saying to him, I, I'm not going to, God says, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do because if I told you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me. You're not ready yet. But I'm so thankful that he reveals through his word by the working of the spirit, what we need to know when we need to know it. And he's always, always willing to share with us what we need and when we need it. Now we need to be patient sometimes because sometimes we're like, I want to know now. And he's like, well, you're not ready for yet yet. Wait. But he's all-knowing and he reveals these things to us. What else in that verse jumps out to you? Go ahead. I'm sorry, what? There's no one like me? Absolutely. God is acknowledging I'm, I'm alone in this. There is no other gods, right? There's no, not a multitude of gods. And again, this is foreign to this culture. They're used to many gods and idols and all of this. And we see this today in our day and age. Um, I just literally, you wouldn't think this would be true, but I just saw a thing the other day where someone was claiming that all religions are true. You know, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what God you worship. It's all the same. No, it's not all the same. There's one God. And he's a jealous God, by the way. He says, I am God. And there's none like me. He will be recognized as holy and just, right? Yes, ma'am. What word? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. So it's O-M-N-I, O-M-N-I, S-C-I-E-N-T. He's omniscient. 
He has omniscience, which would be omni-science, if I'm thinking right. Yeah, yeah. So, anyone else from that verse? Something else that stood out to you? Julie? Yeah. Yeah, his, his purpose will stand, right? I know it's going to happen, and it's going to happen, right? Nothing will thwart that. And we talked about that with the providence study that we did. Um, God is working his plan, right? And we can trust that. So God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Um, as again, as I said, as I was kind of putting this all together, uh, this resource that I came across took a lot of different quotes. And this is one I'm not familiar with this individual, but the quote was in the material, and I, I thought it was a good quote. Uh, this person, Debbie McDaniel, writes this about the omniscience of God. He can be everywhere at the same time, and he never sleeps or slumbers. He's aware every moment of every day exactly what we're up against. He knows our way and is with us always. There's no place on this earth we can go that he doesn't see and know of. One author goes on to say it this way. God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things, it follows that he knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. He literally, there's a phrase in here that just blows me away. And he knows this, and this he knows rather instantly and with a fullness of perfection. He knows everything and he knows it at once. We have to learn. We have to grow. We have to gain knowledge and wisdom, right? He never has learned anything. He just knows he's God. And yet this God, again, knows everything. And we pray sometimes as though he doesn't. We feel like it's our job to inform him of what's going on. Now, I'm not saying we don't share our burdens and our hearts with him. That's different. He as a father wants us to come and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. Does he know how I'm feeling? Of course he does. I'm sharing because he's my father and I want to grow in a relationship with him. But what I'm saying is sometimes we go to God and we pray as though we instruct him what he needs to be doing. You know, God, you really, if you would have just done this, it'd been fine. And we got to be careful there. I understand we get frustrated and angry with God and he wants us to still come to him. Don't get me wrong. But when we go to prayer, realize who you're praying to. He knows everything. Because God is all-knowing, we can trust that he knows everything we're going through today and everything we will go through tomorrow. So you don't know what you're going to go through tomorrow. In fact, what does the Bible say about that? How should I view tomorrow? Should I boast in tomorrow and talk about all the things I'm going to do tomorrow? No, yeah, you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. Your life is but a vapor. Should we plan for tomorrow? Sure, it's good to plan and have an agenda. But you don't know what can happen and what's going to happen. But God knows tomorrow at 1.30 in the afternoon what you're going to go through. He knows. And he's, by the way, working right now in your heart and mind to prepare you for what you're going to go through tomorrow. Because he knows. Again, when we meditate on this truth, especially in light of, this, of his other attributes of goodness and love, it makes it easier to trust him with all we have going on in our lives, from the very serious to the silly and mundane. So again, we're going to take a moment. I just want you to think about this. In light of what we've been talking about, how does the fact that God is all-knowing, how does that speak to you, that attribute, how does it speak to you? How does it encourage you to know that? So just between you and the Lord right now, you don't need to answer out loud. But how would you say to you, just in a moment of just reflection, how does that speak to you? That God literally knows everything that could ever be known. He knows things about you that you don't even know. He knows you in ways that you could never imagine and yet loves you anyway. So number six, God is omnipresent, omnipresent. So O-M-N-I, present, omnipresent. He is always everywhere. Now this is a little bit, or has been taught in different ways. God is everywhere. God is not in everything. 
It's a difference. I've heard that. Oh, God is everywhere and in everything. No, he's not. God is not in this chair, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in me. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell in that chair. So we got to be careful with this. Yes, God is everywhere, but God is not in everything. So I hope you understand what I'm saying here. He's always present, always with us in the space. But to say this very kind of Eastern thinking of Hindi and Buddhist teaching that he's in everything, that is not what we're referring to here. But he is everywhere. So Psalm 139, 7 through 10, um, I believe is the reference there. Yep. So it says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? So the presence of God. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Sheol is a word for, the New Testament word is Hades. It literally just refers to death, the afterlife. Okay? And so in this context, it's just saying, if I make my bed in Sheol, the afterlife, okay, after this, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So where can we go on planet earth where God is not? Nowhere. He's everywhere. Okay. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. So Jeremiah 23, 23, 24. says here, am I... Um, Wow, that's a typo. How did that happen? I'm going to have to look up Jeremiah 23. My computer typed the wrong word there, so I'm going to make sure I get this right. Jeremiah 23. Okay. It says here, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places, that I shall not see him, saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. So again, what's Jeremiah saying? The exact same thing the psalmist says. God's presence is everywhere. To be omnipresent is to be in all places at all times. Yet it is important to understand that for God to be in a place is not the same way we are in a place. God's being is altogether different from physical matter. So it's different than how we are in a place. He, he's not confined as we are, but he is in all places. As one author explains it, he exists on a plane wholly distinguishable from the one readily available to the five senses. And so literally, he is present even if we are not aware of him. You may feel that way sometimes in your Christian life. I just feel like God's distant. I feel like God's not here. I pray and I don't feel like God's with me. I know I felt this way in my Christian life at times. I felt like God's distant. But if we know the truth of God's word, and we know that God is never distant in the sense that we use that term, he feels distant. Now, by the way, sometimes he feels distant because we are not where we need to be, right? There's an unrepentant sin in my life, and I'm causing some distance there emotionally or feeling distant. But God is literally everywhere at all times. So God is not distant from you. You may feel that way, but God is not far away. What's that? Yes, if there's a feeling of distance, it's us, not him. Absolutely. Nevertheless, he is with us. The fullness of his presence is all around us. He is with us. He is in us. The spirit of God dwells in those who know Christ. This ought to bring deep comfort to Christians who struggle with loneliness and deep sorrow. In a very real way, God is always Near us. Closer than our thoughts, writes Tozer, the knowledge that we are never alone calms the troubled sea of our lives and speaks peace into our soul. You may know someone that feels alone, feels lonely, feels like they're forgotten, that there's no one that cares for them. God is always near. I love what the New Testament says that, that God is always drawing those that are far off. And I love that because it's they that are far off, not God. And God is wooing them and bringing them back into a relationship. Why? So that they would know 
how the presence of God should be in their lives. They need to be brought close to him through Christ, not him brought close to them. He is always there. There is nowhere you can go where God is not. And so I want that to be an encouragement to you tonight. No matter what you go through, no matter where you find yourself, God is not far from you. He is near you and he is ready to act. He is ready to, to, to move in that moment. So, our question, how does this attribute and the reality of the presence of God is always available? He is everywhere. How does this speak to you? How does this encourage you? When you see chaos in the world and you see all this insanity of things that are happening, how does it comfort you to know that God is near you, that he's right there for you, that he's not far away and left you undone? So number seven, and we'll probably end here. Number seven, God is wise. God is wise. Now, again, this is kind of one of those ones you're like, well, yeah, he's God. Of course he's wise. But again, I want to unpack these and help us to grow in our understanding. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. Romans 11, 33 Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. This is saying when God moves in wisdom and we don't understand, we are not God's judge. If God chooses to reveal to us what he's doing, praise God. But if he chooses to move in a way that is his wisdom on display and we don't understand, that's because we lack his wisdom. We don't see things from his point of view. Wisdom is more than just head knowledge and intelligence. Many of us can agree to this. We know a lot of people who have head knowledge. They're, they're smart in an area, but they don't exercise wisdom. Wisdom is more than just head knowledge and intelligence. A truly wise person is someone who understands all the facts and makes the best decisions. A wise person uses his heart, soul, and mind together with skill and competence. But even the wisest man on earth would never come close to being as wise as God. God is infinitely wise, consistently wise, and perfectly wise. He is infinitely wise. His wisdom is infinite. He's consistently wise. This is where we struggle. <laughs> Amen. We might use wisdom in one moment, but we forget and we don't use wisdom over here. Pastor Keith and I were talking about that this morning after service. May have been talking about children may have been talking about how they act sometimes, and then may have talked about where they get that from, namely us. Okay? But think about this. Think about your own life for a moment. Think of a day. You wake up, you're faced with the decision to use wisdom. Great. I, did, I made a wise choice. Something goes on. A few hours later, you're faced with another choice, and you choose not to use wisdom. And the consequences of that play out. And then later, you think about that, and you go, man, I learned from this. Well, we're supposed to. So I'll make this decision and use wisdom. We are inconsistent in our use of wisdom. Although the wisdom's available, we don't always choose to act on it. God is consistently wise. There's never been a moment that God has done anything that wasn't the wisest, the best possible solution. He's never done anything that wasn't the wisest choice every single decision. Wisdom among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Indeed, when we see wisdom like this, we realize just how much our limited, finite wisdom compares with the limitless, infinite wisdom of God. And how comforting and wonderful this is for man to dwell on. The fact that God can never be wiser means he's always doing the wisest thing in our lives. No plan we could make for our lives could be better than the plan he has already crafted and is carrying out for us. I think that should bring comfort to us. No plan we could make for our lives could be better than the plan he has already crafted and is carrying out for us. And this is where God, people of God say, okay, what is God's plan for my life? Yeah, it's like in the last 50 years in reading different authors, pastors that have pastored for that long have said, you know, when I started in ministry, that was never a question. Like, I didn't hear the God's plan for my life. He said, only within the last 40 
maybe 50 years or so, I've started hearing more and more that question, what's God's plan for my life? You know, before that, it wasn't God's plan for my life. And if I could figure that out, it was, here is what God's word says a follower of Christ looks like, and I'm going to do this. And as I do that, guess what? I'm living God's plan for my life in the general. And then once we begin to do that, then God will open doors to say, okay, now in this moment, here's my plan for you. And in this moment, here's my plan for you. But so many Christians say, if I could just know God's plan for my life, are you praying consistently? Are you studying God's word consistently? Are you gathering together with the body of Christ? Are you worshiping? Are you evangelizing? Are you making disciples? Are you supporting the church with your tithes and offerings? Well, no. Well, why would God lay before you the grand plan that you are asking him to lay before you when he's made it clear, the obvious thing, that you're denying to do in rebellion and disobedience? God says, be faithful in a few things and I'll make you ruler or leader over much. And this is not about, by the way, this is where the, what I like to call the kind of the blab it and grab it group, group run with this. I'm not talking about raises at work. I'm not talking about promotions. I'm talking about money. A lot of people that are not wealthy are living God's will for their life. concerns and yet love Jesus and are obedient followers of Christ. Your life. Nowhere in this book does it say that if you love Jesus, you'll be rich, healthy, and wealthy all the days of your life. That's a lie. That's the prosperity gospel. And Galatians says that's another gospel, which is no gospel at all. And so when we talk about this idea of this wisdom playing out in our lives, that we want to know what's God's plan for my life. Listen, God's plan for your life is to be a follower of Christ. Start there. Just love Jesus. Get in his word. Pray. Seek him. Take advantage of opportunities that he opens doors for you. And then watch him open doors. And it's amazing. I've met people that worked in children's ministry for years. And then for whatever reason, God said, that door's closing now. I'm going to move you over here. I have a friend that went to college with me. He was a missionary and a church planner overseas and loved being a missionary. Recently, God's called him to be a pastor of a church in New Mexico. God shut one door and said, nope, I'm going to move you over here. But when he was in college, all he wanted to do was missions. By the way, he's still doing missions just in New Mexico instead of in Guinea or different places that he was. So what's God's will for his life? Did he get it wrong? Was he confused? Did God want him to be a church planner in New Mexico when he went to the mission field? And God said, okay, fine, I'll use you there, I guess. No, he was following God, being a follower of Christ. And through that, God led him in different ways. And so when we talk about this God's will for my life thing, stop looking at, give me the big picture. Give me the 20-year plan. As we've already established, we aren't wise enough. We don't know enough. We're not mighty enough to handle the 20-year plan. God's saying, let me just give you tomorrow. Let's just talk about what you're going to do tomorrow and let's move on from there. So again, he is always doing the best possible thing in our lives. So we might not understand his ways today, but we can trust that because God is infinitely wise, he is truly working all things out in the best possible way. And what do I mean by that? What is the best possible outcome for our lives as followers of Christ? If you had to summarize that, if somebody said, hey, let me tell you something, what's the best possible outcome for your life as a follower of Christ? What would your answer be? Okay, spend eternity with him. How about in this side of heaven? What's the best outcome for your, your day, your week? If you could say that today was a great day. We know there's good things that come in, good blessings that come in and fun things that come in our lives. But ultimately, if God is going to do the best possible thing for you, what do we mean by that? Share the gospel with someone else? Yeah, absolutely. To please the Father? We said it this morning, to glorify him. And whatsoever you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is Romans 8, 28, right? God works all things to good. Oh, praise God. Good for me is getting a raise. Good for me is getting this. Good for me is getting that. No, good is being conformed to the image of Christ, which we read in the next verse. And again, it's just so amazing that God is always working these things. He's crafting these things. We don't understand it. And sometimes he will even use tragedy to guide us into Christ-likeness. I wish it wasn't that way. Don't you ever wish you could just get where God wants you to go and you didn't have to suffer any tragedies or heartaches along the way? 
But God knows us. He created us, and he knows what we need, and he knows what will work. And so we trust him because he is infinitely wise, consistently wise, and never makes a mistake. So final time, and then we're going to pray. How does the fact that God is wise speak to you in your walk with Christ right now? How does it encourage you? How does it make a difficult situation a little bit more comforting? Let's pray. Ask God to give us wisdom in these things. Father, I know that as we approach this list, Lord, and we're studying these things, I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we would learn as a maybe something like an academic practice of just gaining knowledge. But Father, all of these truths should just drive us to really honestly worship you fuller and truer, to trust fuller. You are infinitely wise. And yet I pray, I should say I dare to pray in a way that would instruct you on what you should do. Who am I? I'm just a lump of clay, an earthen vessel, a clay pot. And you've graciously, by your love and mercy, given me your gospel that dwells inside of me by the working of the Holy Spirit. It's a treasure and it's one that is valuable and needs to be shared, but that's the value in me. Father, you created me and formed me of the dust of the ground and or you created and formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And you are our creator. We are your creation and you value us and love us. And so, Lord, I pray that as you know us better than we know ourselves, that we would worship you for who you are. Father, again, we thank you for your grace and love. We thank you for your word that you chose to reveal to us. And, Lord, we know that there's things you're going to do in this life. There's things you do in this in our world that we don't always understand. We don't always get. But I pray that we would understand that you are wise, you are loving, all-powerful, all-knowing. Never make a mistake. And so, Father, again, may you be glorified in all things. Go with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you guys Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.